then here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Hi, this is AJ Perez, managing partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. Hello there and welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. It is Thursday, January the 18th, a little after 9 a.m. Central Time. You may hear my dogs wrestling in the background. Uh, they'll wear themselves out soon. Uh, we have a uh, Lassapu who thinks he's 100 pounds and a uh, a puppy who thinks he's like two pounds. So uh, they go, they're going at it right now. I am Rob Howe. That is Scott Docterman. If you're watching us on the YouTube feed from The Athletic. Again, January the 18th. And um, yeah, I was still looking for an offensive co- coordinator, Scott. Or at least we don't have an announcement yet. Yeah. Uh, looking. We're all looking for something, I suppose. <laughs> but but at this point, it's, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, it's almost like, you laugh, you throw your hands up. I mean, you know, what What do we, you know, earlier this week when got a couple of notes from people that know that said, yeah, the, the ship has sailed on Paul Christ. And I'm like, oh, damn, now what? Now where do we look? You know, uh, you know, there's, so, you know, I'm going through different programs, uh, their offensive coordinators, which ones would actually make sense for Iowa, you know, because it's not like you're, they're going to, oh, yeah, let's, uh, uh, you know, they're going to go with a, a Mike Leach disciple you know, yeah. <laughs> to do this, you know. So, I, you know, I made a list. I actually have a, had a Twitter poll the other day, you know, who would do it. And and I tell you what, we're just, it's like we're running on a treadmill and it's like, okay, how much longer? Well, it's going until we tell you not to. And <laughs> and that's where we are. I mean, we're almost, almost three months from when Brian Ferentz was uh, – told he wasn't going to return october the 30th right yes it's october the 30th and we're january 18th and you know the interesting thing rob is it's it's a court it's going according to, to ferris's timeline but the timeline is a little archaic in today's world you know i mean i i understand he didn't want to do anything during the season okay you know that you're you're working you're you're doing everything but once the season concluded um, after the Big Ten championship game, then it's kind of time to to take a step and move forward. You know, okay, let's let's look at some of these guys. And instead, it's like, no, we're going to get prepared for the bowl game. And then after the How bowl game, so, yeah, um, you probably you probably could add no <laughs> offensive coordinator, and it worked just as well, right? Yeah, I uh, I'm with you. I mean, focus on your current team while you're in season. But after that big 10 championship game, we all know what bowl prep is and it's developing your young guys. And there's so much time there. Um, You know, finals are earlier in the month. There's a lot of downtime there. It just, Mm -hmm. 
And even during the season, I mean, I think most coaches, um, athletic directors, if they have, you know, if they're in charge of personnel, they have lists of, okay, if this guy leaves, if this guy leaves, if I have to get there, you have that list of guys that could be candidates. So I don't know. Um, it just, it seems, but I guess at the end of the day, if you get the right guy, does it really matter? And whoever they, he announces now, there's going to be a reaction or whenever he announces, there's going to be a reaction. But really, at least from my perspective, after the last few years and what we heard going into the season about how things were going to be and then they weren't, I'm taking a wait-and-see approach anyway, no matter who it is, because we don't know how whoever it is is going to work with Kirk. Sure. And, you know, the other part is there's going to be a honeymoon period for whoever it is. I mean, there's going to be the natural, whoa, who's this? And for the most part, it'll be there'll be some people who just be sad because it's over. You know, it's kind of like Christmas. You got everything you wanted. but You're still disappointed. Christmas is over. And then but then for, there's going to be people who are excited. And then most of the fans will rally around the flag and, and get okay, we'll give this guy a chance and, and look into it and, and get excited. And then um, then we'll, you know, I, obviously we'll probably split our writing on part of it will be, wow, what a great hire. And then other parts will be like, well, let's give it a wait and see approach. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> and after the last few years, you know, it's like shame on me, you know, you shame on me. And, um, you know, <laughs> Yeah, it, let's face it, though, they, they are going to be a much improved offense next year. And that could be going from 133 to 132 because <laughs> yeah. there's like 25 yards per game difference between those two. And I think there's whoever it is, is stepping into a position following somebody who is arguably the most disliked, for lack of a better word. His job performance is the most disliked of anybody that has been on this staff in the last quarter century. So you get that part. And I think that plays into your honeymoon theory, Scott, is it's not Brian Ferentz. It's somebody yeah. else. It's not Spencer Petrus, right? It's another quarterback, whoever that is. It's that public perception. I'm not saying whoever it is is going to be better than Brian Ferentz. It'd be hard to be worse, at least statistically. <laughs> um, was the quarterback played better this year than it was with Spencer Petrus? No. You know, so we don't know. We speculate. We analyze. We try to go over this stuff and figure out what the outcomes may be. But really, this it's an it's an, such an important hire that as kind of frustrating and impatient as we are for for Kirk Ferris to name somebody to that position, to me it's just get it right. Well, what what's been, you know, to to compare Kirk and Brian, what's the downside and what's the upside uh, of uh, waiting, of dragging your feet, whatever? Um, you know, it, it's because we, you know, this has been going on for so long. You everybody wants closure. Yeah, you know, us, the fans, probably even people on the staff, you know, that aren't, aren't directly and some that are directly impacted. So what? What's the downside in waiting? Well, 
you, you could say maybe they weren't able to get somebody in the portal possibly, but for the most part, I don't know that they're going to get anybody anyway. I mean, even if, unless they had a really strong connection, the new OC with somebody, it, it's really going to just be um, wait until April, May period anyway, before you get into that period. And so I don't see that there's really much of downside to waiting. It's just the annoyance of it. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, We've been waiting and waiting and waiting because there's no game until September or August 31st or whatever. But, but, you know, you just, everybody wants to move on. This has been such a aggravating, especially the last two years. Once Kirk announced Brian was moving to the quarterbacks coach that really the last two years has just been angst ridden for everybody when it comes to the offense. And so you just want that closure, that change, that look ahead. We want to analyze what the OC was like wherever he was. And, and we, we haven't gotten that yet. And, and uh, hopefully soon, you know, hopefully we can move on and, and write about that and, you know, analyze it and, you know, embellish and do whatever. <laughs> I mean, I think, a downside could be is he is he missing out on potential candidates by waiting? Mm-hmm. Are, are people that may be interested pulling out because of the long of the length of time that it's taking to name somebody? That to me is a detriment. And then, kind of in conjunction with that, Scott is we are very aware of the reputation that Iowa's offense has has developed over the last few years from a national perspective we're not the only ones seeing that the media is not the only one seeing that coaches around the country see that so how much is that holding back the potential of somebody coming in here you have to find somebody who's like i don't care i, I can do this wherever right and you want somebody like that but you also may have somebody who's pretty qualified who says i'm that's a that's a death sentence. I'm not doing that. So that probably plays into this timeline as well. Trying to figure out who is a candidate, who wants to be here. And then while you're doing that, are you missing out on people? Yeah. And I think there's a lot there and it's, it's fascinating because, you know, how much of the true story do we get? Uh, You know, maybe we'll get some, I don't know about all of it, but yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, how many candidates or potential candidates said, "Ah, I don't know, man, that's, I've seen the way that operates and, you know, and then maybe they got to talking to Kirk, maybe they were interested and they thought, well, there's going to be some, he won't let me run it the way I want to, um, you know, or maybe Kirk's saying, you know what, you can run it the way you want to, as long as it's within this foundation. And, and maybe some people are like, that's too, too much for me. Or some people might say, yeah, that's, that's fine. That's exactly what I want. I, I think overall that, you know, but I will put itself in this position, you know, and, and I, Kirk did with Brian and then the issues over the years. I mean, I remember in the summer of, uh, 2022, I think, uh, I think it was Chad over at, uh, at Indianapolis asked something about, uh, the offense. And, you know, he said something like, Oh yeah, we should be improved. And and then Kirk's like, um, man, it must be bad out there, (laughs) you know? And, and, and then the last two years have been statistically the worst two years since 1984. I mean, in a big 10 play, I mean, in 40 years and, and the world has changed so much that you can make the case, this is the worst offense in modern college football history. 
and, and I'm not being hyperbolic. I'm being truth, truthful here. And yet to still win 10 games shows there's a lot of positives here. But this has got to, you've got to get with the times. And it just, no matter if you think it was Brian's fault or not, ultimately it was because the offense failed and it failed multiple years, not just one year. And I think smart candidates know that it wasn't just Brian Ferentz's fault. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, what are you, if you're looking at this job, what are you analyzing? What are you evaluating? What's the quarterback position look like? What what do I have at receiver? Do I have guys coming back on the offensive line? What's the running back room look like? Tight end personnel, right? And I'm not knocking anybody, any particular player, but what does what would that evaluation look like? And how attractive is that for a potential candidate? I think it's a fair question. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think if you look at objectively at, at Iowa right now and if you're, I, I think if you're a OC slash passing game quarterbacks coach type, I think you've got to be, you would almost be excited about it in some ways because you are starting at the bare bones. That passing system needs to be scrapped. It is horrible. It needs to change dramatically. And you have all the tools at your disposal to do it. Um, now, do you have the personnel to do it? That's a different question. You know, do you think that, Cade McNamara is good enough where you feel like, oh, man, I'm going to be chained to that guy, and I don't really want him. Uh, what do you think of the backups? Well, Deacon Hill didn't play very well, and I don't know if any you know, quarterback coach can make him play much better. Uh, you know, Can you bring in your own guy? Well, yeah, maybe, you know, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, And then you look at the other aspects, veteran offensive line with the potential for another addition that might make them a little bit better. We'll yeah. Um, <laughs> some quality running backs, I think, and maybe the best tight end in the country and, and a couple others who are pretty good too and ascending players. So I think there, by and large, you've got, you would be looking at this offense saying, yeah, I can make this better, but, and then the passing game, I can make it my own, but do I have the pieces in place to do that? You know, and how much will the head coach let me go that route? You know, I think I think those are all fair questions. I think I've characterized it probably in the in the manner that most OCs that would fit philosophically with Kirk would be thinking of it. And now it's just a matter of of executing and getting the person. And and, and the other factor is, Rob, if you are an OC and you aspire to be a head coach, um, this is a situation where if you fix Iowa, you could write your ticket. I mean, you know, the the person I've thrown out there lately, just because I don't have anybody else to throw out there, <laughs> we've got exhausted our candidate pool is, is Tommy Reese, you know, who was quarterback in Notre Dame, an OC at Notre Dame, offensive uh, quarterbacks coach, and then went to Alabama. He's out of a job, not for his own problem, but just simply because they made a change and, you know, Ryan Grubb's terrific. And, and so... He's looking for a job. If he comes to Iowa and let's say he elevates Iowa to the mid pack um, statistically and makes the passing game go. I mean, with Iowa's defense, if you can make the Iowa the 60th or 65th best offense in a year, this team's going to the playoff next year. I have no doubt about that. And then you can kind of write your ticket, say, hey, look what I did there. I was OC at Notre Dame, Alabama. Alabama, we got to the playoff, went to Iowa, got to the playoff. With that offense, somebody's going to say, yeah, we want that guy. And it might be Iowa pretty shortly. And Kirk has said this publicly recently, one of the most recent times 
he's spoken publicly, he wants an offensive coordinator that's committed to complementary football. So you know yeah. if he's telling us that and the public that, he's telling the candidates that. And that's a, a, a broad statement, right? What does that mean? And what does, you know, how does that fit with whoever they hire? What? How does he view complementary football? So, um, you know, it's... It's a lot. You have to find the right fit. You you look like you have something on your mind. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, it, Beth Getz has just been announced as the... Hey, uh, breaking <laughs> news on the Hotspot Podcast. Gather around, kids. It's a rarity <laughs> here. Usually yeah. this stuff happens at about 1030, 11 o'clock in the morning when we, we shut down operations here. But uh, congratulations to Beth. Much deserved. I think it was anticipated by many of us. Uh, she's done a done a really good job. She certainly got a feather in her cap by making uh, the move with the football program that we've talked about here for the last, whatever, 20 minutes. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, she got off on the right foot there, but she's got a lot in front of her, Scott. She's got, for lack of a, I'm 56, so I guess I can say this, aging coaches, coaches that are older. Um, she's <laughs> old dudes. Yeah, old dudes and old Old dudettes like Lisa Bluter, um, you know, I mean, they're all in a hell of a lot better shape than I am. They're all, you know, very, they're all the winningest coaches in the program history, right? Mm-hmm. Other than yeah. Tom Brands, who's right. got, got chased down Dan Gable, but the men's, women's basketball and football, all are the winningest coaches in the history of their programs. Right. So that tells you they're not going to be here forever. Well, exactly. They're between the ages of 68 and 62, you know, and, and Bluter and, and, and it's not too much longer before Bluter's 63 and Fran is 65 and Kirk, of course, is 68. And, uh, so you've, sorry for kind of fading out there, but I was like, oh, oh shoot. You know, but, uh, yeah, this is a, this is a huge move for her. This is a huge move for the athletics department. It's something that's needed to happen. Obviously it should have happened a couple months ago, frankly. And, uh, but overall, I think, uh, you know, this is just, um, you know, you, you might have to have succession on your mind earlier than you expect for maybe at least one of those positions. It wouldn't surprise me at all if, you know, maybe Fran decides to to leave, um, you know, a year or two. And I mean, when, maybe when Jack's done with high school, maybe even before that, uh, Lisa is probably the one that I would imagine stays the longest, but you never know. And then Kirk, at 68, it's a year-to-year type of thing for me. I mean, he, he's in great shape health-wise, likes what he's doing. And and frankly, if you're winning 10 games a year, it, as much as we can complain about the offense, that's that's still a hell of an accomplishment. But he's not going to be there forever either. Um, I mean, what, Hayden was 70, I think, when he shut it down, 69 or 70. Yeah. So he's in better shape than Hayden was by far. But, but still, you know, I mean, even if it's two years down the road, three years, five years, that's still not very long. So overall, I think you would, it's something that we've got to, uh, um, you know, that, that to me is, is priority number one is figure out who your candidates might be for those jobs and ensure that the ones that are here, if you want them to be here, stay as long as you can. Yes, no doubt. And, I'm sure she was involved in the news earlier this week of Seth Wallace being promoted to assistant head coach and the raises that he and Phil Parker uh, were given. So she's done a lot already with, you know, with, with the interim tag. Now she gets kind of 
you know, the seatbelt. That's a bad analogy. She's now free to kind of dig in a little bit more and all the things that she has analyzed, evaluated since she took over in the summer. I'm sure she's got, you know, a to-do list. And like you said, one of them is let's start compiling lists of potential candidates and she has relationships. She's been in the business a while. So, you know, there's networking, there's connections, there's things like that, that will help her along the way in terms of putting together those lists. And uh, by all accounts, uh, she was the right person for the job. And uh, now she gets to to prove it. Now she gets to show people she can bring this athletic department into this new age, something that I think where Gary Barta fell behind and we saw it with the NIL relationship. She's mended that. She's, you know, focused on what is important going forward with the new landscape in college athletics. And that, to me, is the most exciting part about this hire, is that she, at least to this point, has shown to be proactive instead of reactive. And that's what you need in this position. One of the things that among the many things that I've liked about her and getting to know her and listening to her and, and is that she is quite the listener, that she has ideas and thoughts, but she also wants to understand. She wants to get details from everybody. And that includes peons like us, media, you know, that we've had conversations about, um, you know, a couple months ago is like Charlie Baker's speech on the, in the NCAA about paying athletes and stuff. She's like, what do you think? And she genuinely wanted to know what, what, what I thought. And, and, you know, one of the things she said is like, she goes, it's, it's good to finally have somebody who you feel like is, is looking forward instead of always trying to look behind. And, and I think that's, that's the best part here is she understands the landscape for what it is and what it will be, not for what you want it to be. And I think Gary, um, Gary did some good things and, and, uh, you know, he also was rough. And I think there's a lot of people that would prefer to talk about the bad rather than the good, but there was some good. I, and, but he was for a different era and this era of, you know, this the NIL of collectives of all the other things that are going on. He was behind the times, significantly behind the times, and not meeting with the collective and not trying to to move forward in that area. And Beth is the exact opposite. She understands that it's going to be more of a partnership, not just big me, little you. And and I think that's that's refreshing. Um, you know, the situation with Brian Ferentz, she handled it about as well as she could have. You know, she's not the one pulling the, the trigger on that. I mean, what interim AD will have the clout by themselves to do that with, you know, the, the dean of college football coach's son, you know, at the middle of the year. I mean, that was – she was handed the gun, and she said, you know, the, and the president said, I'll take the cannolis, and you t- fire the shot, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but she handled it well. And I think she's, you know, some of the things that she's talked about, she wants to bring the students to the floor. There's going to be a renovation of Carver Hawkeye Arena. Um, last year, Kirk Ferentz um, had a uh, $7 million pool for his assistants. That's going way up now. You need to. It's football, you know, and as much as 
people may go, oh my God, that's a lot of money to pay. You know what? You're either in, you know, as Bob Bowlesby said 20 years ago, you're either in the race or you're not. Takes and money you to be. make money. Yeah, and you got to be. So I think overall, um, you know, that's that's where we're at. And and so anyway, I, I think this is a great hire sheet from the people I've talked to. You know, football is a little different, but everybody else swears by her and has for a long time. She's a breath of fresh air. She comes to our practices. She watches our practices. She she cares about our athletes. She wants to know, you know, and she she was a player. She was a coach. She was an administrator of all the so-called small sports. But, you know, I, I have a quote in my story once it publishes here in a minute, you know, from Jan Jensen about, um, you know, she's like, when we went to the Final Four, I was working on film. I was doing things. And then I'd come up and I'd see Beth and she's working and she's working again and she's working hard and on and on and on and on. And it's like, um, overall, you know, she's, she's the type of person that they all respect and cares. And, and when she was named interim and she had that press conference in August, Rob, she was, um, uh, you know, they're all the women's basketball coaches came to support her. And that was right after they flew back all night from Croatia. You know? And so, and, and what Jan told me uh, was, Hey, how do you show, tell that person that they're your person you're there for or her, you know, him, whatever. So I think that was really um, impactful. So. I think you made the, the best, maybe the best trait she has is the ability to listen and wanting to collaborate. And yeah, she's the boss and she has to make the final Mm -hmm. decision. She has to make the tough calls. Um, But she's willing to work with people in the athletic department, coaches, other people in administration. Um, I don't, I think that in, in this world of college athletics, you need that. You need somebody who's willing to be a little bit flexible and be able to meet the needs because there are so many moving parts constantly. And we see, I mean, just since we've started the, this podcast before NIL, yeah. and, we, and we've watched the stages and the changes in college athletics, she seems like she has that flexibility and foresight that you need. And uh, I trust the people that trust her, yeah, so to speak. And that, that means a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, Lisa Bluter, um, when I asked her about Beth back in the fall, and she's like, you can't get co- all the coaches to, to agree on anything. And everybody agrees on her. If we don't name her, it's the, it would be the, she, she could, she kind of tripped over her words, but she said it would be the not smartest thing we've ever done <laughs> at the University of Iowa. And if you've got that kind of backing, you know, when we have, you know, statue coaches, you know, and Ference and, and Bluter and, and you have, you know, all-time wins re- leader and, um, and McCaffrey and you have uh, Brands who's had his level of success, but also other people, you know, Rick Heller was on the search committee and he was, uh, uh, you know, very much in support of her at, at the highest level. I mean, he was, I talked to him just on the side, I think it was at the, the basketball game at Kinnick and he's like, oh, she's great. She's everything. She's exactly what we need here. And so when you've got run that gambit, when 
Tom Brands is in a PCA. He's like, um, he goes, I'm not the king or anything, but you're, you need to, we need to take that interim tag off you. You got Brands and Heller and you've got Jan Jensen and you got Lisa Bluter and football's, they have a situation that probably, uh, but I still think there's a respect there, you know, if nothing else. And maybe it's good. Maybe it's good that football's the one getting checked because it needed to get checked. It hasn't been checked for a long, 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 long time, probably since Bob Bowlesby was there. So maybe it's a good thing that there's somebody that's not going to be a yes person for football. So overall, um, I think people should be very excited about this hire and um, and rally around it. Yes, and football is the front porch, so to speak, and you need you need the football to to um, excel and do well for your whole athletic department. But that the other people in that athletic department feel valued by the boss and know that they have a voice as well. That's really important because I don't think you get that all over the country. There usually it's you know it's almost a separate entity, but there needs to be that collaborative effort that I talked about earlier. And um, if we're talking about statues, there yeah. should be a statue of the previous female athletic director at Iowa, Beth walking in the footsteps of Christine Grant, who not only changed things here and and advanced things here, but worldwide, she was, she was incredible. And uh, that uh, I got, I I know you've had a chance, you had a chances to interview Christine and so did I. Mm -hmm. And uh, I see some similarities between her and Beth. And that's, uh, that's good. Yeah. Christine, as we know, I, I wrote about her with the 50th anniversary of Title IX a couple of years ago and what she would have meant and and um, and talking to several coaches and just the respect that she has. But respect is is one of those things where you get it um, when you see it. But, you know, if you have to ask for it or demand it, then I think overall, you know, you're then there's an issue. And I don't think there was ever an issue with, with, uh, with Christine. And there certainly wasn't with, isn't with Beth thus far. And, um, you know, and going back to kind of your discussion about the football situation, by the way, there'll be a press conference on Tuesday afternoon. Um, you know, the football situation, you know, not only can she kind of check football, but also give them the resources that they need, you know, as we said with, you know, okay, Phil Parker, here's, 500K increase. You're the best assistant in the country. We're going to put Seth Wallace as the assistant head coach. Um, probably give them a bump on the offensive coordinator. Obviously, you're going to have to, um, unless you want me to do it, and I'll do it for less than Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Might be a little tough for a while, but but um, but you know, you give you provide you the resources in complimentary your- football. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's kind of the John McKay uh, <laughs> quip <laughs> from the Buccaneers, you know, back then, you know, what do you feel like your team's execution? I'm in favor of it, you know, <laughs> you know, but, uh, no, but seriously, I mean, this department is more than football. Football is the, the biggest entity in the university of Iowa. It's bigger than even the, the writing college, which is hard to say, but true. Maybe the hospital might be bigger than football, but, but still it's the front porch to the university and how football does is 
kind of shapes everything about it. You know, if you provide them with the resources and you support them and whatever measures, but you're also there to be the boss and to be, you know, the, the strength that then there's nothing zero wrong with it. Because again, you know, Kirk's 68 years old. He's going to be 69 in, in August. How much longer is he going to do this? You know, it's, it's bigger than Kirk Ferentz. And, um, but then also have support Lisa Bluter and, and Beth is the one that was really made it happen with the, the Kinnick situation, you know, playing at Kinnick and, um, she was the force of the final four. And so that's, there's a lot there that I think people will respect. And, and if this brings Iowa up and, you know, let's face it, Rob, they've had some issues with the title nine and gender equity for a little while. Um, this isn't a bad hire when it comes to that situation. No, not at all. And that's uh, certainly important in the grand scheme of things. Um, I know there are people I see it, see people, some comments in the chat room that I won't repeat about, uh, you know, Hey, I usually don't support females for a position like this, but I'm all in favor of Beth. So she has that going for her. Yeah. And, and there are going to be people, Scott, that you know, we saw that when she was named interim and there was talk about her getting the permanent position. There was pushback by some people, mm-hmm. some of them, you know, for lack of a better term, Neanderthals. Yeah. Right. But that really doesn't matter um, because she has the support of the university and the people in her department to be able to do her job. So the other people are just going to have to get over it. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and, and those are the people that say, well, we want Bob Stoops to be the AD, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, no, you don't. I mean, it's a different, it is, this is not 1984. You know, I mean, Bump Elliott was fantastic as an AD in that era. Would Bump Elliott be great in this one? Well, maybe he's he's actually different. <laughs> yeah. But but you know it, it's not just about being a former coach and now you you move up kind of like at a high school where you know we're we're cross legs and coffee and you know hey what do you think about this let's get the, you know it, it's not the situation with you know uh, you know those things so I I like I think this is a good move for Iowa in so many different ways brings in, in and I think people are going to like what she's going to do with Carver. You know, they have a feasibility study that's underway or complete. And then there's um, there. She wants to bring the students close. And in my quote, and now that it's published, I can read it. It's pretty good, um, you know, from her. Hopefully it's stayed in. But um, moving people around is more complicated than it sounds. We want to honor and serve all of our longtime fans and season ticket holders. At the same time, you're inviting your student body in. So this would be an opportunity while you're making some shifts to sort of accomplish everything at once. But it's hard to argue when you're at those venues the, that seat students near the floor, what a difference it makes. And so, whereas, you know, Gary was stand pat on everything at Carver, everything from, I mean, what, what changed over 18 years? The, the burrito lift, you know, the, the new scoreboard in the middle. What else? Nothing. You know, the, there was, yes, there was a new, practice facility but that was what in place in 2011 or 12 or something so nothing changed about the, the atmosphere at Kennet or I mean at Carver you got to do that you know and we could talk all day and we have about the atmosphere for men's basketball games at, at Carver but you know it comes on down to the athletics department and it may mean trimming some seats and making it in a more intimate environment but it's also about you know what? Give the students an opportunity to do it because the the, the current 
way is the wrong way. I think we can all realize that. And it's going to take work and it's going to take diplomacy and it's going to take some convincing because you're going to have to convince some of the folks that have had season tickets close to the floor to move. Mm-hmm. So that's going to take some give and take and, you know, some work. It's going to take work. And previous to her, they haven't been willing to do that, put in the work and try to figure it out with everybody and make it. You're not going to make everybody happy, but do you the best you can to have the best outcome. And she's that's again, her ability to work with people is going to be big when you're talking about something like that. And, and she comes across so well, like there's, there's a strength and a humility. And that I think is rare among leadership like that. I mean, you know, somebody who was in that, you know, a similar chair until today as her was, was Jane Meyer and it didn't work very well because she was had a different way of doing things that people didn't, adjust to (laughs) didn't like very much to be nice um you know gary obviously catered more to the donors and less so to the other factions and and whether he wanted to or thought about it it didn't it didn't happen so it doesn't matter and and i think with beth she's gone in in a way where it's now time to to make all those changes and uh, in you know it'll be a better product and it's it's going to have to, you know, one of the things with Carver that's that's probably good, probably from your end, from shooting pictures, but from another side is the the seats are so far from the the court. I mean, hell, I think the seats at Kinnick are closer to the field than they are at Carver. You might be right, you know. And you need to, to adjust the arena and, and some, you know, bring it forward and inside a little bit to to make it work. And it might be you know, have some sort of a, there's no concourse, there's no natural concourse, um, but you're going to have to to do something. And there's not enough restrooms. There's, it's too far to walk. I mean, the only thing edible there is, is the Carver cones. I mean, <laughs> you know, we, again, we, we've talked about this. This is, this is like uh, putting the, the tiger hawk on the water tower, which of course is moving now, but <laughs> you know, so there, there are all these different things that have kind of stuck around forever, but I think this one's the biggest because it's the one that's the other ones are cosmetic. This is reality. And, and, uh, and, you know, Beth seems to be the right person for that gig. I'm excited. I'm excited for the future of Iowa athletics. Uh, I, I I would encourage people to to uh, share that, but sometimes it's people want to take the wait and see approach, like I'm doing with the Iowa offense. So I understand that as well. But um, if you just look at it objectively and look at it, uh, what's has happened so far in the short time she's been in charge, maybe that gives you a little bit of encouragement that the future can be bright. I think it will be. We'll see. Uh, Let's take a break here. I'm sorry, Scott. Oh, I was just going to say one of the comments on my page, uh, my tweet was, she's not good with football. Iowa needs an AD with football experience. So there's going to be those people, Scott, that are mad at her for making, it seems like people are hanging their hat on. And Kirk was upset with this too, that the decision was made during the season. And that's going to be the knock on her. Um, making that decision. There are people that think she shouldn't have 
had been involved at all in making the decision. Then there are people that think she made the, and I've talked to these people, you have too, people that are, you know, supportive of Iowa athletics felt like she overstepped by doing it during the season. Whatever the case may be, it needed to be done. I don't think it affected the play on the field, making the decision when she did. If anything, the play on the field confirmed why that move needed to be made. So again, I get it. No, Nobody's going to be have a 100% approval rating, but I think more people than not think this is a good hide. Yeah, it's totally that way. And, and I understand the, the concern over that. I believe me, I do. I think it's important, but, you know, I think it was the right time. In retrospect, the angst was palpable. It was so over the top after that Minnesota game, um, you know, where one of the great touchdowns was taken off the board, but they still had a chance to win that game. They didn't. And the offense looked pathetic. It looked pathetic all year and it looked pathetic at that point. And the fans were really starting to revolt. So um, overall, I I think this is just, um, I think you can make an argument, Scott, that doing it at that time may have helped the team. Yeah, I think that's what you're saying. That basically right. it took that it took that narrative off it it you know that the about the offense that there was it let people know it let people know there was going to be change. The players when we met with them on Tuesday, we didn't have to ask them about it anymore. Yeah. It relieved a lot of pressure, and I think I think a lot of fans kind of went okay. And yeah, from from I would say the majority, yeah. I mean, nobody was happy about the offense, but it's like okay, there's going to be a change here. I don't have to be angry, and, and they didn't have to split their loyalty between. Do I want to see this team win? Um, and then, oh my God, they're going to keep Brian and all versus. Well, now I could root for them, and I know that it's not. It's going to change at some point, and I think there are some people who embrace the ugliness. It's like, yeah, this is not what we want to see, but let there are team, damn it, and. And, and for Brian, his last home game against Illinois, and they scored a touchdown. They won the game. They won the championship. It's the last time somebody's going to win a championship on the field in Big Ten um, at, at home like that. And he got a Gatorade or Powerade bath. You know, it's Iowa. Um, his players embraced him. He cried. His dad cried. His dad took an hour plus before he came to the press conference because um, he wanted to celebrate the moment. You wouldn't have gotten any of that. I mean, if they would have won and he was still the OC, then people would be like, damn, that, that means he's going to come back. And then how 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 big of a fight would that have been in early December? Yeah. Saying, we're 10 and 2, you know, and you want to fire my offensive coordinator, my son? You know, so I, I think it was the right time. It had to be done. And I think she did it the right way. I agree. I agree. And I know other people don't, and that's fine because uh, we are where we are. And uh, we're moving forward. We're we're on the where are we on to Pittsburgh, Baltimore, New England. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, now we're going to take a break, and I'm going to let <laughs> folks know that support for the podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. That is sui.org, Systems Unlimited, doing great work in our community for over half a century, and we certainly appreciate their support of our podcast. We're going to hear from a few more of our sponsors. Scott and I will be back on the other side to talk about, uh, oh, I don't know, the transfer portal. 
Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Do you need a great electrical contractor or fire and water restoration specialist? Well, contact Lance Bolin at LB Electric and LJ Construction in North Liberty. Lance is served the corridor for many years and is ready to help you. Call Lance Bolin at 319-640-1116. That's 319-640-1116 or visit LJ underscore construction on Instagram for licensed and insured electrical work, fire and water restoration and remodeling. We are back. Thank you to our sponsors. We appreciate their support and our the them allowing us to bring you these podcasts free of charge each week on Thursday. And we have a fresh Hawkeye-centric podcast every day of the business week, Monday through Friday. Uh, Former Iowa kicker Brian Hurley does a Hawkeye history podcast that I highly recommend. That usually drops on the weekend. So any day of the week, whether you're shoveling snow or mowing the lawn, uh, listen to our podcast. We appreciate it. And please uh, solicit our sponsors as well. Uh, They help bring up these podcasts to you free of charge. No Patreon, any of that stuff. Scott, uh, the Hawkeye fans were abuzz yesterday with uh, the news that one Caden Proctor, offensive tackle from Alabama, uh, graduate of Southeast Polk in Pleasant Hill, uh, former Iowa verbal commitment. Uh, Many of you and most of you who are listening and watching us right now know the history here and know the background here. Um, Caden flipped his commitment to Alabama late in the process. Uh, It created uh, some ugliness, I will say, uh, on social media channels. Uh, Ugliness that I'm pretty sure the family, in fact, I know the family has not forgotten um, how much of a role that plays in his decision moving forward. We'll see. um, Because I think the positive part was that the Iowa coaching staff handled it very well. Um, And it's important. And maybe, and I wrote this in my column, Scott, if there's a lesson or a positive that comes all out of all this, maybe it's not going to go away, but maybe it decreases the situation we saw when he flipped his commitment and the reaction, the negativity, the nastiness we saw on social media when that happened. And we see it. It's not, and I'm not saying it's, it's, you know, just Iowa where this happens. It's it happens all over. And maybe with the transfer portal and the new landscape of of college athletics, people will uh will take notice of that. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is this is something that everybody needs to internalize. I know I had yesterday, uh, you know, and, and the person who pretty much knew it in advance was was Kennington Smith, you know, former of the register who covers Alabama for us. And he alerted me. He's like, hey, FYI, he's going to enter the portal today. And Iowa seems to be a place that he's going to go. And and uh, what th- this does is you're exactly right, that there's so many times that people have been so nasty to him in particular. But stop tweeting at the recruits. You know, Morehouse made that like a rule. He's like, don't treat at the, tweet at the recruits. And this is another reason. And then somebody tweeted at me and Kenny yesterday. He's like, you know, Iowa fans hurry, hurries to uh, 
scrub their timelines, you know, (laughs) you know, Um, and it's true. I mean, you're talking about kids and kids make choices. Kids make decisions. I remember being, I don't know, when I was younger, um, you know, that when you're 17, 18 years old, you have wanderlust. You want to go see the world. You want to go see things and do things and experience life. And a lot of times that's go to a different location. You know, I remember the kind of the dream schools that we had um, growing up in Southeast Iowa were, you know, like go to Florida state or Arizona state and, you know, and then, and then after a while, you know, a lot of the people who did kind of go away decided, well, I want to go to Iowa and, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think people need to kind of say, okay, you know, and, and what have you lost with this, by the way, you know, if you're an Iowa fan, if, if he does come to Iowa, he went and had, um, oh, he was the starting left tackle for every single game for the, for the Goliath of college football. And I'm sure he learned a lot there, took a lot of lumps. So basically he would have done the same thing in Iowa. And now, you know, if he does come back, you, you don't, pencil him in you you mark sharpie him in at left tackle and let him go and you're getting a better player than he probably would have even after last year yeah and uh i don't know if folks noticed but the sec has pretty good edge players <laughs> and uh i i wouldn't say he would be taking a step up by coming to the big 10 he certainly is going to face top competition. But if you look at the competition that Iowa played last year on its schedule compared to what Alabama played, I think he got a uh, better training, so to speak, for his sophomore season, wherever that may be. And you have to figure, Scott, um, I've heard a lot about the homesickness and wanting to be close to home, and I think there is truth to that. But also, in these situations, you have uh, players, student-athletes, their families. They've gone through the recruiting process now once. They, they, they have learned from that. now, And they've also now had time in college to know what they want. So you would hope that they could make a more educated decision than they did a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. And I think that can help Iowa in a lot of ways because – some of the aspects of Iowa's program, um, the consistency, the stability, things like that, you know, he plays one year at the Blue Blood program and then the head coach leaves, you know, and there's a lesson to be learned there. So I think Iowa's right in the mix here, would not be surprised if he ends up here. Not a done deal. He's going to – I think for the for them, it's important for them to do their due diligence to look around and make sure – that Iowa is the right place so that he's here till he's ready to go to the league. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to, and it has to be a comfort level and it can't just be hanging out with the guys comfort level. And it has to be with the staff school, where you live, that type of thing. A new offensive coordinator, a new offensive coordinator, of course. <laughs> but, but I, I do think that if, at least if the, if you're an offensive lineman, the infrastructure is there to be yeah. successful. It's, it's probably, if you're a quarterback or a receiver, that's probably where you'd be like, I'm waiting. <laughs> We're all waiting here. So um, I, I, but overall, I mean, this is the prodigal son returns. And as you said, I, and I, I dug up the quotes that, you know, Tyler Barnes said um, a year ago when he spurned him, you know, it's like, yeah, it stinks. 
you know, you, you, you're, but you know, because we give ourselves the 24 hour rule when we lose a recruit like that. And then we got to move on. And, and he's, but he also said, I sent them a text and wished them the best of luck. And we're rooting for you. You got your back and we're going to be, uh, um, you know, and you never know what happens in this transfer portal era. And, and on the side, you know, Tyler had kind of mentioned to me, he's like, I don't know if he'll like it there. You know, it's just a different vibe. And, and, you know, he'd been, you know, he, as we know, even, you know, the, the first time they had an open opportunity after COVID, he was there. I sat with him at an open practice the whole time and talked to him for about half an hour. And he was wearing an Iowa shirt. And, you know, when, when Xavier Wampa committed, he was there in an Iowa shirt. And, and he was one of the last people to leave, you know, Wampa's uh, press conference. And, you know, just there's so much that leads him to Iowa it, it would be a shame. I would understand it if his family would feel uncomfortable with this, but, you know, I also think that you got to do what's best for him. You know, I think that's got to be number one. And, um, you know, hopefully there would be some healing there. Maybe every party can kind of look at it and say, maybe except Iowa, I don't think they did anything wrong, but I think every other party can look at it and say, yeah, maybe we could have handled things better. And that includes the Iowa fans. And, and if this means that there's some introspective, Thoughts, like you said, Rob, it's that's a good thing in the long term. And he has to be ready. Where mm-hmm. at Alabama, he was a, he was another of the dudes, right? Mm-hmm. We we yeah. saw was it Caleb Downs? Yeah, he's a dude, and he's yeah. moving on. There are a lot of dudes at Alabama. He comes here, boom! He is the show. Yeah. He is the story. You'll write about it. I'll write about it. Everybody will write about it. Fans will celebrate it. And the spotlight immediately is boom. You know, it's on him from the time he comes to campus. He has to be ready for that, too. Um, And that, I think, hasn't always worked well in the past with players. I'm thinking of Oliver Martin. I'm not sure he was comfortable in that role. They're different people different situations, but that's the type of thing you have to not worry about, but at least examine if you're the family to say, okay, this is a different situation for us. And he took, he took quite a bit of heat from the fans in Alabama too, for his play this year. So again, they understand better now what they're getting themselves into. It was much more intense there than it would have been here. I mean, his struggles were, you know, and, and that's a level, you know, think of it, it. It's a lot like Iowa wrestling. If if you go out there and you don't compete at a level that yep. they expect, and it's that you know you're a true freshman, who cares? Yep. You you've got to go out and dominate. And if you can't dominate from day one, they will get after you, and they did. And that was something that he struggled with. And at Iowa, that's not going to quite be the case. I mean, people will complain. They'll say, "Ah, oh, God, he didn't play very well, or whatever." But that's not going to be anything like that. So. You know, and and if there is a, and I'll pause it. I mean, if he decided to come now, he'd still be able to get into classes, you know, because the semester just started two days ago and you could still find a way in. Although, man, leaving Alabama for Iowa in this weather, you know. (laughs) He grew up here, though, so he's used to it. Yeah, exactly. So, um, 
But anyway, you know, and, and if he got here by the weekend, he could start classes probably online. You know, you could do that anyway and and move up here and get involved. And and it would be an acclimation period for him. I mean, yes, his friends and his the teammates and the people who he knows on campus will meet him with him, but we won't talk to him. Mm-hmm. You know, fans won't watch him compete but once, and that'll be in mid to late April anyway. And and so he'd have kind of a full run before he would have to really be accountable or, or be visible to the public. So, you know, this, this would be a good period for him. And then, and then you look at the ramifications, it instantly elevates this offensive line. And let's look at it from the football perspective. Who wants to have some fun? Let's figure out if he gets here, what the depth chart looks like. Let's yes, roll Scott. He's, he's their left tackle. Agreed. I mean, you know, Mason's been the left tackle for three years. Mason, you know, will start somewhere, but not at left tackle. If you've got Caden Proctor, Caden Proctor's a potential first round draft pick at that position. He's like Tristan or Alaric Jackson. So you put him in there um, and then you kind of shuffle the line. You know, what does that mean? Does it mean somebody like Nick DeYoung, who's coming back for a sixth year is kind of the, the uh, swing guy. Yeah, maybe, you know, uh, you know, where does, you know, where do all these people go? I, I don't know. I think that's overall. There is an opening at left guard now with Rusty moving on, starting left yeah. guard. So, right. You know, Nick but was, that would have been, but that would have been Nick DeYoung. Right. Coming back. Yeah. So you're right. It, it, it adds, it, it does complicate the equation a little bit. Yeah. And do you use, <laughs> do, do you move Richmond to right tackle? Kirk has said that, you know, Dunker is a tackle. Yeah. But can he play guard? Yeah, I think he can. I mean, he started at guard in the in the bowl game. I think they just felt like they needed a tackle. Yeah. You know, because frankly, I, I kind of felt like they were playing with four guards in a center the last few years. And, yeah. you know, and so Dunker was a guy that, you know, he's got the size. You throw him out there, you leave him out there, you let him see how he competes. And he competed fairly well, I thought. Maybe they just say, you know what, he's still out there. And let's uh, maybe Richmond's a guard along with Colby and, you know, or DeYoung and compete and DeYoung could be your swing guy. And, you know, he's, he's coming back for an extra year. So kind of, I don't know, that sucks for him, but, but, you know, what does that do outside of those five or six? Well, you know, you can't worry about that anymore. You know, you, you can't worry about hurting people's feelings, you know, now you, you certainly wouldn't want a freshman or a sophomore, you know, or redshirt freshman to, to transfer because of this. I don't think anybody would be dumb enough to do that. But an upperclassman might. They might say, God, you know, I, I just throw a name out here. Tyler Ellsbury, who I thought played really well when he, he played last year. Maybe he looks at this go, I'm not going to get on the field now. Mm-hmm. You know, this shuffles the deck to the point where I'm number seven, eight, you know, uh, maybe I need to go somewhere else, uh, you know, but I you hate to say it, but if you, if you could trade Caden Proctor for Tyler Elsberry, I mean, come on, you know, I, I don't want to be that way, but you got to be that way. You know, it's, it's about winning on the field and Caden Proctor could be an all big 10 guy. I don't know that maybe Dunker has that in him, in him maybe Jones, but it might be a little tough. So I think a good thing too with this Scott is <clears throat> the guys that were in Iowa's 2023 class. A lot of them built relationships. I mean, I uh, talked to Leighton uh, Jones, Leighton Jones about it. I talked to Trevor Lauk about it. They were 
they felt bad when Caden decided not. To, they they had built the re- bonds and relationships. Yeah. So that's a bonus too. He knows those guys that are in his recruiting class, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, there are, I'm sure there are plenty of Southeast Polk just general student population mm-hmm. that go to Iowa that he probably has friends with. And X, we know that they're close. So a lot going for for Iowa. I think the big question is. What does this mean for Jennings Dunker's defense of the Solon uh, beef thing? <laughs> hey, Kate. Actor fit in here. You know what? I'm going with Jennings Dunker, man. <laughs> Nobody's ever going to beat him. Um, you know, Proctor's flair. If you want to be yeah. the man, you got to yeah. beat him. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, if, there, if there's anybody that's going to beat him, it's going to be Logan Jones because he, he hates losing to him. So, um, you know, Caden's got a lot of work to do in that area. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think strength and potential wise, this could be one of the stronger offensive lines Iowa's ever had if he comes. And, you know, going back to the offensive coordinator position, if you look and you say, I've got Luke Lachey, who's maybe the best t- tight end in the country. And you've got Caden Proctor, who's got that kind of potential. And then I've got five other guys that have been starters for two seasons or the better part of two seasons um, and running backs that have shown potential to be really good. I can work with that. You know, now it's about we got to get the quarterback position up and healthy and up. And then you've got to get your receiver position, you know, accelerated. And that's why, you know, there's a new coach coming there, too. And you could probably bring your guy for that. Uh, you know, overall, I think this is, uh, you know, th- that's a healthy situation. And and even though it's only one player, but one player, when you, you know, especially when you talk about offensive line, if you shuffle all the chairs, that one player matters a lot because, you know, you know, Mason, I think, is a really good offensive line. He's not going to be an NFL guy at left tackle, but maybe he could be an NFL guy at guard. You know, maybe he could be at right tackle potentially, but probably more like a guard. Well, if he goes into that position, he stabilizes guard because he's probably been the best, most consistent lineman when healthy, you know, that I was had in the last couple of years. So uh, it, it, it could be, you know, depending on quarterback play and, and receiver, Iowa could go from being a popper to, eh, not, you know, maybe not, maybe not nobility, but certainly upper level. They can go from like Walmart to Target. Is that a jump off or <laughs> there you go. To <laughs> yeah. Kmart, uh, goodwill to the, you yeah, touched on it. You beat me to it. The Colton Copeland news. We haven't talked about that yet. Um, that happened after our podcast last week. Um, makes sense. You bring in an offensive coordinator. You've talked about it, Scott. We've talked about it on the podcast. The passing game needs help. Um, I think you bring in an offensive coordinator quarterback, coach some combination of that with a wide receiver new wide receiver coach get everybody who has the same mindset on the same page that's a positive in in trying to push this offense forward yeah it is rob you know when you look at the the first four classes that included wide receiver for kelton copeland 18 through 21 there were nine freshman receivers Seven of them transferred, and, and another one went to baseball. That one's not his fault because yeah. Brody Breck's going to play in the baseball. But but that's eight out of nine, and the only other one is is Nico that stayed. You know the whole the whole race. That's 
That's got to stick to somebody. Yes, it can stick to Brian Ferentz. He's had enough arrows that, that he looks like a porcupine. But, you know, but it also has to stick to the wide receiver guy. You know, and then you have Charlie Jones leave. And you just, after a while, it's like, what are you doing? You know, you got to do something more. There were more, uh, you know, the last two years were the worst years that Iowa's had for receivers catching the ball since 1978. And then you can't look past some of the comments that he's made when he's had, um, you know, the, the, the last two years, he's really kind of tried to absolve himself in some ways and turn it on the program is that that's a fault for why the wide receivers aren't involved. But, you know, I remember with, with Amir and, and Brandon, yeah, they should have gotten the ball more. I won't disagree with that. But when you look at, you know, in the night in, in 2019, receivers caught 169 passes from Nate Stanley, which was the tide for the highest in Iowa history. And to see them drop the way they did. And it's because of, you know, it's your recruits. It's, it's on you. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I liked him personally, don't get me wrong, but Iowa needs, needs somebody better at that position. And just for folks that weren't keeping track, uh, the receiver position in 2023 caught 76 passes for 754 yards and three touchdowns. Four receivers caught passes total. Four different receivers. Nico, Seth Anderson, Caleb Brown, and Deontay Vines. They were the only receivers to even catch a pass this year. Right. And... You know, and you know, look at Caleb Brown. You know, he probably became the best receiver by the end of the year. How long did it take him before he got in there? And it was only because of Deontay Vines' injury. Is is that Brian's fault? You know what? I think it's the wide receiver coach has a lot to do with that. The wide receiver coach is the one who works with that person all the time and is the one that could go to the offensive coordinator. It's like, hey, I think he's ready to play. I think he's doing the right things. Let's get him to go. Um, and that, to me, is is part of the, you know, the, the problem here. So, uh, it, it needed to happen. It's it's for the best for the program. Um, the new OC will now, I'm sure, you know, Kirk will have the final say, but if, you know, if they say, look, I think this guy will be a really good fit for us, it might be him, you know. And it also could be somebody like John Budmeyer too, for that matter. We, I mean, we don't, just don't know, but but that wouldn't be a, a, a surprise either. But, you know, maybe maybe they get more out of it that way. I don't know. That's the key, though. I mean, we've talked about it on this podcast. You have to get better play from the quarterback position, and you have to get better production from the wide receivers, and they go hand in hand, and that needs to be really the focus because you can still do what you want to do with blocking schemes. You can still run the ball the way you want to run it, whether you're counter or inside zone or outside. You can still do all that stuff, but you got to fix the passing game. Yeah. It's it's our it is so complicated, Rob, and the and the depth, the the passing tree, the the spacing of the field, it was just not good. There were times when you needed secondary routes and they weren't there, and that, that's that's coordination, obviously. That's that's play design, but you've got to be able to do that. I remember there was one play where I think it was. Um, when they when they had a strip sack uh, against Minnesota, it was Tyler Newbin coming blitzing from a safety position in and stripping, um, you know Deacon Hill and and I'm looking at the the route and what's going on there and it's all they're like all three either posts or goes 
there's nobody in like this field of like from the center of the field, not even the, the hash mark, but the center of the field to the, the sideline, you know, like a 15 yard area depth wise. And I'm going, it's startling oh, when you see yeah. shit like that. Yeah. You're like, man, this is a three man route. You can't get max protection because you're not good enough at it. And yet there's nobody there, you know, there's no, no outlet or anything. So I, I think overall um, coordination, the scheme, everything has to work hand in hand and then you also need, um, you know, better coaching. You know, that's what it comes down to. And, and yeah, and Deacon's not the guy. We know that. You know, maybe Marco is, maybe he isn't. But, um, you know, you want to get the OC in here to evaluate everybody. And then if, if that means that you need to get a quarterback after spring ball, get a quarterback. Go do your thing. And I know that they're over on scholarships and people seem to be anxious about that. Don't be. Things work out, you know. There's going to be some medical guys, and then there's going to be some guys that realize after spring ball that, man, I don't want to be, you know, I'm a junior and I'm third team at best, and there's more guys coming in in my position. It's probably time for me to leave. And then there might be a couple of guys that have to be told to leave. I'm thinking about a comment on my practice story on Facebook, and and somebody said, if Proctor wants to come back, make him walk on. (laughs) <laughs> realizes the error of his ways. That's that that like that Twitter account uh message board. Gene. Yeah. <laughs> it should be on that. You know, it's like guys, do you want to win or not? You know? know? Do you want to win or not? And and you know, people think of it as like this privilege to play at Iowa, and it is to an extent, but you know, it's it's also Nebraska. It's yeah, Nebraska fans think it's a privilege to play at Nebraska. Yeah, it's a business. You know, and, yeah, and it's a business for everybody, players included. Well, we we don't have a ton of time for uh, non-football related because of uh, the news with Beth Getz getting hired as AD took up some of our time, but I do want to at least touch on wrestling and men's and women's basketball and the transition from football goes well to wrestling, Scott. Because a young man who played football this this season and just finished up January 1st at the bowl game wrestled for the first time a few weeks later and actually won his match. Ben Keeter, I know he was not. I, the way I looked at this, Scott, I'm interested to hear it because we haven't talked about this yet. I know he's pissed because he likes to dominate, and he. If you watch the match, he was uh, he was gassed by the end. A lot oh of different yeah. conditioning is different for football and wrestling, yeah. but to think about what he did, being basically all of his time dedicated to football since the summer, to get on the mat in a Big Ten match against a rival. Granted, the kid wasn't ranked in the top ten, but he was still ranked, and to win that match. That's pretty, pretty incredible stuff. Yeah, no question it is. Uh, yeah, I watched the match because I was like, you know, following along on Twitter. And, and well, everybody was mad Friday when he, when he yeah. didn't get to rest, wrestle the other football guy yeah. from Nebraska. I don't know if that would have been a good one for him. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, the one thing with, with uh, 
Huckmacher or whatever from uh, Nebraska is, you know, Nebraska's season's been over since Thanksgiving, so he's had an opportunity exactly. to get into wrestling shape. Iowa season ended January 1st, and, you know, he still needed a day or two to fly back, you know, before he could start focusing exclusively on wrestling. So, um, but following it along, you know, it, it was uh, during the playoff game, the NFL playoff game, and I was like, oh, shoot, I got to check this out. And, and you watch him, and, yeah, he was gassed. And if that, that match would have lasted 10 more seconds, he might have lost. Yep. Um, and I'm sure he looked pissed. He looked like, I can't believe, you know, like, oh, man, I, I'm in for something here. Good. You know, he kind of could use that dose of humility after just annihilating competition at City High for four years and the world and everything else like that. So what's that going to do? He's going to go and work his ass off like he always does. And he's going to be better for the next time he goes out there. And, um, you know, and he he infuses the program. No question. I don't know if he if he'll be an All-American this year. I kind of think he will be. I don't know about a national champion, but I think he's good enough that once he starts getting in back into wrestling shape, that he'll be very competitive in the big 10 and around and around the country. But I think, uh, you know, and this is uh, this is really interesting. And then for a program that's, you know, lost Spencer Lee a year ago and, and has had so many absences because of the gambling situation to now have him, you know, Ben Keeter be the, the guy like that. Um, yeah, this is, um, you know, I think this will infuse the program for casual fans that always pay attention, but, you know, I don't really have too many guys to, to latch on to right now. Great story. It should be a great story moving forward, looking forward and see if he wrestles in the Penn State duel against Kurt Vliet, because that is that yeah. he needs to get ready for that if he's going yeah. to, to move into that. But We'll we'll address that when we get to it. Uh, Iowa won both of its duels, beat two ranked two top ten ranked teams at the time. Nebraska on Friday, uh, Minnesota on Sunday. Pretty pretty solid victories of both of those two. So that team's developing. Tom Brands has done a good job getting transfers in, filling holes in his roster. We'll be interesting to see how this team develops. Um, the women's basketball team is developing nicely. Uh, Fifteen <laughs> wins in a row, Scott. Uh, was there Saturday night, as were you, to watch the game against Indiana. A lot of buildup for that. Fox, Gus Johnson, you know, people coming out in sub-zero weather uh, to watch. A great environment. Um, and Iowa really, really looked good. That that game, you know, you, you watch a team, at, you know, go through a season and you're like, how good is this team? When I, When I saw them Saturday night, I thought this team has a chance. This team yeah. has a chance to win it all. Yeah, it does. That was their best game that I've seen in a long time for them. And probably since last NCAA tournament, you know, I think this is their best game of the year. And um, the way they all played, the the intensity, you know, the environment, you know, give yourselves a hand. I mean, that was that was something. And to be, you know, when when Molly Davis hit I think it was her hit the first three mm-hmm. for Iowa. I had it at like 113 decibels. Wow. You know, and it was the, the highest I've ever recorded because I, you know, I don't do it for every game, but I do it for the ones that are, you know, need to have it. The highest is 119 with Caitlin's shot against Indiana last year. And then like Peyton Sanford's head against uh, Michigan State was like 116, 115, something like that. So, um, but it, but the way that they played and, you know, here, here's what's interesting is we w- we've been focused so much on what they don't necessarily have when it comes to, 
the post and replacing McKenna Warnock and replacing um, Sonano and everything like that. But then you, then what they've done is saying, you know, okay, we, we, we may, that may not be our strength, but you guys got to try to guard us. And we'll go out with there with four guards that are way better than yours. And we'll beat you up and down the floor. And there's nothing you can do about it because our transition game is the best in the country. And few, and, and few posts could run with Hannah Stolz yeah. up and down the court, rim to rim. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's a uh, Randy Moss. I mean, when it comes to, you know, female uh, posts or, you know, for, power forwards. And, and you know, Mackenzie Holmes kind of had an off night, but she wasn't really – she didn't impact the game the way that maybe I thought she would. Now, if they get in a half court situation all the way around, then that, you know, that changes things. But when I was running in transition like that, shit, forget it. They're, they're the best in the country and nobody's going to stop them. Nobody, not LSU and and UCLA, anybody. And then you say, okay, well, you've got this big environment, you know, you get the big win. Everybody's patting you on the back. Do you have a letdown a few days later? Nope. Just wiped Wisconsin out. Where did they beat Wisconsin like 30 times in a row somewhere? 29. High 20s. Something something crazy. Just dominant. But win that one by 46. Big one Sunday, Scott. Another national TV. Ohio State's a really good team. Um, This is is a huge challenge on Sunday. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, and it leads right into an NFL playoff game. I mean, this this tells you a lot about women's basketball and Iowa basketball that NBC will say, you know what, let's let's put this game here and, and lead into an NFL not a men's basketball game, not a you know, no, they're going to go with with the women's basketball game with the the most popular figure in the country and weren't the numbers um, really good Saturday night too for the they, they were over a million, yeah. which. When you you got to consider what it's what's it going against? Yep, it's going against an NFL playoff game, and that it was the Chiefs. Yeah, it was the Chiefs. Chiefs, Mahomes. It you know freezing weather. Miami Dolphins have a great offense. Tyreek Hill. Yeah. Um. You know, and they had twenty eight million viewers. No matter what, that, that's never going to. You, you just can't compare to the NFL to anything, but. Compared to everything else, it was pretty close. And yeah, there was the other networks had shows that were a little bit higher than them, you know, regular scheduled TV shows, but not much. So, it, it, you know, getting a million viewers for a women's basketball game, it, it probably was higher than you get for a good men's basketball game. And uh, having Gus there, got, I talked to Gus for like 15, 20 minutes before the game, and actually for a little longer than that, and did a lot of, you know, interviews on, on that and wrote about it. And um, he was stoked. He's like, I have never seen her play. I want to see her play. You know, she is, you know, he compared her to Jordan, the way she, you know, she does things and, um, you know, and the environment was off the charts. But as you said, you know, one thing Wisconsin did that was really stupid was the bench started talking a lot of shit to Caitlin Clark, you know, and then Caitlin was looking over and, you know, and, and then started John with Marissa Mosley, you know, the coach about it. And it's like, you know, if you wanted to catch them sleepwalking in a trap game, don't fire her up. Sneak <laughs> up, man. Don't make yeah. a racket. Sneak yeah. up on them. Be frustrate her. Don't don't <laughs> don't get her in that position. So, and then you know the rest of the team responded as well. I mean, they were burying them, and it, it wouldn't. Uh, you know, it, it was the type of game where I thought towards the end, I could. You know, if I could leave in their starters longer just to get to a hundred, just to whack them that much harder, but still. Um, yeah, Ohio State's going to be a good game. But no and question. that was with it, without Hannah against mm-hmm. Wisconsin. Right. So 
they would have had a hundred had they had Hannah. And hopefully yeah. she's good to go on Sunday. They're going to need her in Columbus. Want to wrap up with some men's basketball talk, Scott? We talked talked about it a few weeks ago. They started zero and three last year, came back and won the next three. Zero and three this year, came back and won the next three. So um, we knew it was going to be a process with this team, with what it lost last year. Um, all it could do when it started zero and three was to get to three and three. You know, with the next three games, and it's done that. We talked about it last week. It seems like this team's starting to gel a little bit. Guys are figuring out their roles. Um, you know, Tony Perkins is settling into the point guard spot. That allows Fran to use Harding and Bowen together on the second team as combo ball handlers to take pressure off them. That's working well. Crickie's been the most consistent guy on the team all year. He continues to bring it. Um, you know, Sanford had an off night at Minnesota shooting wise, and they were able to overcome that come that because Josh, Josh Dix is emerging now. So good signs with the Iowa basketball men's basketball team far from out of the woods yet. We'll get a good litmus test on Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Over Hawkeye Reed. Yeah. Playing number two, Purdue will tell you exactly where you want to be, but they got a tall you know, guy. Yeah. They've got a guy that's, uh, that's <laughs> fairly well known, you know, defending national player of the year, but you know, kind of back to our previous conversation a little bit. You notice that with Peacock, that the curtain raiser is Purdue men, and the the and the main event is Iowa women. You know, they both have returning national players of the year. It this is a new world. I mean, because Zach Eady, Purdue basketball. You know, even Purdue Indiana was was earlier. Now yeah. I know that it was Eastern Time Zone and all, but. That doesn't usually happen. Usually you have your, you know, your main one in, in the higher primetime slot. There's room for everybody. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, the one thing we haven't d- discussed except for briefly off the top is Fran McCaffrey is now the wingest coach in Iowa men's basketball history. And, you know, as much as we've talked about, you know, Kirk 144, you know, passing Hayden Fry and um, and how big of a deal that was and, uh, th- this is a big deal too. I mean, Tom Davis is, you know, certainly widely respected. I don't know about how beloved. I think it depends on the person, but certainly well respected for his his tenure. Fran is a, it's a little bit more ambiguous. Um, and I, I think, think the crowd. If you look at it though, Scott, you were around when Dr. Tom was let go. Yeah, there are a lot of parallels with oh, Fran yeah. and how they're viewed. And I think over time there will be a greater appreciation for what Fran has done here. Um, different personalities, obviously yeah. way different personalities, yeah. but I think time has healed some of the, the, the knocks, the criticisms of Dr. Tom. And I think that will happen with Fran to an extent as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think Dr. Tom, I remember when he was inducted in the Hall of Fame 15 years ago, the Iowa Hall of Fame, and he was on the field that day, football field, and and you could see he was tearing up because everybody cheered him. And and I don't think that it, people dislike Dr. Tom, you know, as the person, you know, you know, the the clapping, you know, that he had his little, you know, you know, quirks, but but other than that. I think everybody liked him personally and the way he handled himself. I think with Fran, it is different. You know, now he's fiery and and some people really like that. Uh, a lot of people think he goes over the line. Um, you know, does he, you know, ingratiate himself enough with the public? And, you know, and, you know, those, those are all valid discussions. 
But I think you look statistically and how they performed in the Big Ten across the board, it is almost identical. Um, the only real difference is that in the NCAA tournament, Dr. Tom won every first round game. But, you know, for a 10 year period, he walked in with the greatest collection of athletes in Iowa basketball history. Fran walked in with the worst. So if you just remove the first two years and you, you go forward, you know, France had a little bit more success. And then, and then in that 10 year period until the last year for Dr. Tom, when he went to the sweet 16, you know, he never got past the second round. And that's really what caused a lot of the angst of, man, when are we going to go to the next level? You know, it just feels like we're the next level. That was the line when Alford was brought in. Yeah. Going to take the program to the next level. And for 25 years, it's been, you know, the same level as Dr. Tom. That's the, that's been the the ceiling. Yeah. We won't know until Fran moves on. If, if that is raised, if somebody gets it to the next level, so to speak, yeah. The, one of the things that I thought was cool was Dr. Tom's guys, so to speak, Ryan Lersman, Kevin yeah. Coslin, Duez Henderson, they all were very complimentary of Fran mm-hmm. and, you know, their love for Dr. Tom, but also the respect they have for Fran. And that tells me a lot. I mean, yeah, I think he's gone over the line you know, with officials at times and his, 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 you know, his behavior sometimes, but his guys do love. Yeah, it's true. And I think the things that he's done really well is he's brought the past back to, you know, Alford didn't do it, of course, because Alford was bigger than life. Lick Leiter just was too much of an introvert to do it. But Fran has brought the former Iowa players under the Iowa tent and they feel like they're important. You know, as you said, you know, Kent McCausland, I've talked to him about it. Just settles, of course, right. You know, all those guys feel like, okay, Fran is there with them. You know, the street family. Yeah. He couldn't be more close to them, you know, than other, but then there's the general public though, Rob. And this is, this is where the problem, the questions lie is he doesn't really do that with the public as much. And this is where, you know, fan engagement and why the attendance is going down. Do they feel like Fran is there for him, for them? And that's not so much the case. I mean, you take a look at the things that have been kind of stripped away over the years, uh, the black and gold blowout or whatever it is, shirts and skins before games, the PTL, uh, you know, even the in-state games, you know, playing Drake in Northern Iowa at home and then the, the Big Four Classic. All of that has just kind of has gone away. And those are windows, opportunities. As we know, when we go to the PTL on Sunday afternoons or Wednesday nights, that was an opportunity for several hundred fans to watch them play, maybe get to meet them, maybe get an autograph, for us to interview them, to have videos on our websites and and to write about them. And fans got the chance to kind of get to know the players a little bit and see them compete. That's all gone. And and what, what do we write about in June now? Nothing about basketball. It's it's football. And so you remove that from the equation. And then you start to look at the games that they play early in the season, Rob. I mean, there was there were no non-conference games at home of any value this year. And you know, and then part of it's not their fault with the ACC Big Ten Challenge going away, but you know, bring somebody else in. 
you know, and then, then the play, they have the exempt tournaments, but, you know, they were going and playing Gonzaga and Sioux Falls and playing Cincinnati and Chicago. And it's like, bring play, something back to your fans. Playing you know? a game in Des Moines, that wasn't very attractive. But yeah. again, it was a, a, a game that was away from Carver Hawkins. Yeah. And that one doesn't bother me because it's still kind of in the state and it yeah. was different. But, but, you know, that you start taking away stuff and how do you replace it? What do you do? You know, I remember a couple of times they had like a midnight madness Friday night introduction and they didn't have anything like that. And, you know, whether it's, you know, it, it, and all that adds up, it adds up over time. And then the postseason exits, you know, that you, you don't have a lot of equity in the bank. If, if the years when Luca Garza was there, if you could have gotten, you know, especially the last year, if you could have gotten to the sweet 16 or the elite eight, then that, that helps you out when you're not, quite good enough you know last year they were okay and then you get to the tournament and they're one and done but you know this year they're they're fighting they look like a fun team to watch but you know but you know i think fans have kind of checked out yes right only it looks like it's it's happening across the country too i'll flip on a game you know on espn and you know it, it looks like carver like yeah. it's SEC or Big Twelve mm-hmm. or ACC, it's happening all over, and that's something I think that the college basketball world needs to address. And certainly, that's something for the new athletic director at Iowa to address: yeah. get the men's basketball attendance back up. And how do you do that? Yeah, and you work with the coach, you work with the coaching staff, you work with the program, you work with the fans. What do you want? What do we need to do to get your ass in the seats? Mm-hmm. And hopefully that happens. And and I don't think it's an impossible, you know, situation, you know, by any stretch. I mean, you look at women, the women's game. I mean, they're rock stars. But next year, they're going to lose a lot of pieces, you know. And, and so Caitlin Clark is the exception. And then, you know, I, I think men's basketball, we've seen it you know, the interest being at a high level at a peak. And, and I think it's capable of getting there again. Um, I'm not sure it's going to happen under Fran though. I'll just be honest. I don't know that. I think fans have kind of, if he decided to step away, Rob, after this year, and let's say they go to the tournament and they win a game and he decided this is it for me. I think it'd probably most part be all right. Thank you. We appreciate you, but it wouldn't be like, you know, people, you know, holding on to his ankles, please stay, you know, just, I think it would just be, okay, what's, what's next, you know, and, you know, but it's been, it's been a cumulative effect. It hasn't just been something overnight. And we won't know what's next until we see what's next with all the programs that we've talked about with coaches that have getting up there in years, we'll say, and get closer to the end of their careers than the beginning. One thing with Fran and you look at, you know, I think you look at what Kirk has done, what Lisa has done, what Fran has done in comparison to the history of their programs. And I think they all stack up pretty well from Fran's perspective. Uh, four NCAA tournaments in a row. It would be five had there not been COVID. That would match the longest streak to the NCAA tournament in program history. 85 to 89 was five in a row. If they make it this year, that will match that as well. So you don't know what's coming next, but there's always the possibility to go down. There's always the possibility to go up. And I'm, I never um, tell people be careful what to wish for. Cause you just don't know. It could yeah. be better. 
It could be worse. We don't know. Right. Uh, it's, you know, and, and going back and both of us are old dudes. So we remember the situation with Tom Davis and we remember the, the interest in Alford at that time. Let's strip away, you know, the Alford problems since then. But I think there know, was I, a, I think there was a sentiment that they got who they wanted in Alford and they mm-hmm. settled for Kirk Ferentz. Yes, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> because people wanted Bob Stoops. Exactly. And and I remember I was there at, at Kirk's, uh, or I mean, uh, at Steve Alford's press conference, sitting next to Bob Bowlesby, and and sitting next to me was uh, um, oh this, the the West kid. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I forgot his name. Glenn Worley. Yes. <laughs> God, how did I forget that? He texted oh, at me last night, so it was on yeah. the top. Of okay. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm sitting next to him at the press conference, and then in the very back of the room was Kirk Ferentz standing up against the wall, just. And I remember mentioning it to my you know, wife at the time, my fiance, you know, and I'm like, that was, that's kind of unusual, you know, just kind of by himself, not saying anything. And, um, but you look at, you know, Tom, the, the, it was a, it felt stagnant. It did. There were, as we mentioned, there were 10 years there where they didn't advance the sweet 16. And this was a program that we saw with loot, especially. And then early in Tom's career where, they were in the Elite Eight. They were in the Final Four. They made the Sweet 16 with regularity. And then to, to always be win one, lose one. And and a, and a lot of their better teams, like with Andre Woolridge and, and Ryan yeah. Bowen, you know, they were, yeah, they, they never really got lucky in their draws. But, you know, there was a lot of people wanting to move on, especially after, you know, Ray LaFrance decided not to come to Iowa. And um, the be careful what you wish and then the irony there is once he was, it was told he wouldn't be back, they made the Sweet 16. Right. You didn't have to worry about anything else. But, but you know, they also were a five seed and they played a four. Yep. You know, so that's a, that's a coin flip game. You know, you just, you win those games. And then they, they played well in the Sweet 16 against UConn and were leading with, what, eight minutes to go or whatever it was. And, you know, I remember and, interviewing Jim Calhoun and how – how uh, complimentary he was of Dr. Tom and how he was like, I can't believe they're letting him go. (laughs) Coaches are coaches. I know. know. It's a tight fraternity. Yeah. But you look at, you know, in in Steve's case, you know, he was the hot young coach and he had the name recognition and fans responded. There were sold out season tickets for a couple of years after that. And then um, UConn in New York. Yeah, to open this, you know, number one, you got, you know, to win the start of the era. I mean, who most people thought, wow, here we go. And, and basketball was kind of, it was probably the one time in the last 45, 50 years where basketball had kind of tilted itself ahead of football and fan interest. And, and then of course it just went and, and that's where it kind of is today. And, um, you know, nobody could have foreseen the issues with Steve Alford off the floor, the Pierre Pierce situation, I think is still the ramifications of that are profound um, because I think a lot of fans were disgusted by the the way that went down and, and put them out of sight. And there've been people that haven't come back since. Right. Um, A lot of people were just like, I can't believe they did that. And yeah, they either haven't come back or their interest level is, is waned. And then, then we get, from there to kind of the lick lighter era and games on BTN and they sucked and the weather was like it is now. And at that point it was like, well, out of sight, out of mind. And Fran has done a nice job of building it back up, but 
taking that big, big, hard step hasn't happened yet. And ultimately it's cost, you know, it's fans are kind of like, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if I want to build myself up if we're just not going to ever get there. So. Will be interesting, Scott, to see what the crowd looks like on Saturday. Yes, Saturday matinee in Carver Hawkeye Arena against the second-ranked team in the country. If you can't get people out to that, I'm not sure what what the future holds and and what uh, the picture looks like if that's the case. Mm-hmm. No question, because and then this is Purdue too. You know, it, it's not. I mean, like two weeks ago, they played Rutgers and I was a little bit like, oh, oh boy, you know, it was like listed at 9,200 and it was probably 7,500 there, um, you know, okay, but they were unranked and, but it was still a nice day, you know, all things told in January, but now you've got number two ranked Purdue, a, a rival that you've played for a hundred plus years. If you can't get people here for this, you know, sometimes, sometimes things just kind of peter out. Yep, we'll see, and uh, we'll see what goes on with this team. At least it's back on its feet now at 3-3 and in the league and has a puncher's chance to make it to the NCAA tournament again. I think people are are engaged again, maybe not to the level that we would want, but they're getting there. Um, The women's team is flying. The wrestling team has great storylines. We talked about Ben Keeter, so plenty to talk about. Um, If you're new to our podcast – we kind of just riff here, and that's what happened today. We just go till it's over, and now it's over. Scott's going to get on. He's got another podcast coming up at the top of the hour, so check that out if you want more Hawk Talk. He and I will be back next Thursday to hopefully talk about a new offensive coordinator, but we're making yes. no promises. Uh, but hopefully that's the case. I figure the perfect scenario is February 2nd, Groundhog Day. <laughs> that would be that would be appropriate. That yes. that would certainly make a lot of sense. So, <laughs> all right, folks, we're getting out of here. We appreciate everybody for listening. Appreciate our sponsors. Scott and I'll be back next week to talk to you on the Hotspot Podcast. Until, until then, be well and peace. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.